Hello and welcome to Across the River, a podcast that weaves together death and dying, tarot, and witchcraft. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Sarah. We are not experts of any kind, simply two witches who like to think and talk about death, dying, and divination. We invite you to journey with us across the river. We are recording across the river in Toronto, Ontario, also known as Tecoronto. The land that holds this city is and has been for millennia a home to many diverse First Nations and Indigenous, Inuit, and Métis peoples, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. The land teaches us about the cycles of birth, death, decay, and rebirth. We're grateful for the opportunity to live in and learn from this land. Hello listeners, it's Rebecca here, just with a short content note about this episode. In the course of this conversation, Sarah and I talk about abortion. We get there a little after the 10-minute mark, and we are on the topic for about 15 minutes. It's our hope that this conversation will feel more supportive than distressing, but if for any reason you don't wish to engage with this topic, feel free when we arrive there to skip ahead by about 15 minutes and rejoin us afterward. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the episode. Okay, we are rolling. Yes. <laughs> hey, Rebecca. Hello. How are you doing today? I am doing well um, because it is warm. It is lovely and warm. Yeah, and uh, that just makes me ridiculously happy. <laughs> like this temperature, so it, we're, it is 26 degrees where we are right now, and that is great for mm-hmm. me. I would take warmer. This is okay. Um, actually, this is perfect and gorgeous, and it is astounding how much better I feel as soon as it gets warm out. Oh my gosh, and the sun too. It's been like cloudless sky for the last three days or so. Yes, and the actual sun has come out. It is still there. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of funny that we're both feeling pretty good today um, because we kind of have a bit of a heavy topic. Yeah. What are we calling this topic? That is a very good question. Um, Today we are speaking about, I think crisis of faith is putting it a bit too strongly, but I think that there is something about existential doubt in life. Because uh, <laughs> that's somehow less less dramatic than crisis of faith. <laughs> good point. Good. Point. Yeah, but no, I know what you mean. Like crisis of faith sounds like there's some sort of you know event, and I maybe what we're talking about more is just kind of the cycle of like spiritual doubt mm-hmm. and. The word I often use for this is disconnection. I think that that is a beautiful word for it. Um, I think that's what we we ended up deciding to talk about this because Rebecca and I had a lovely hangout last week, and I think both of us 
feel that we're sort of going through that maybe low part of the cycle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the word you just said, cycle, is like so important in mm-hmm. this topic because one thing that seems to be becoming clear to me and probably to you too is that it is cyclical. It is. It is. Which is beautiful in a few different ways because it reminds us that these kinds of feelings there, there's a time and a place for them but they don't last forever yeah. hopefully in yeah way. yeah exactly um here's a question maybe to start us off we're you know, maybe this podcast this particular episode is going to be a little bit more on the witch end of things than on the death end of things but I kind of think that this topic is also related to the to the death and grief aspects of of the things that we like to talk about I think that that is very, very true. I think often when we find ourselves in these sorts of periods, um, it is uh, spurred on by some kind of loss or um, disappointment. Um, And it can really make us start to question things. And I think one of the things that we learned uh, in our training and also just in being with um, uh, our clients when we're doing hospice work is that endings or disappointments or losses um there is this fundamental need that we have to make meaning from it Mm -hmm. there's a term i've been thinking about as we you know since you introduced this as a possible topic and i don't know if you and i have talked about this yet or not and if not you might really enjoy investigating this but there's a there's a woman based in the u.s her name is cole imperi She's a thanatologist, and that means... Thanatologist would be a death... uh, Yeah, a a deathologist. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) She studies death and dying, and that's her her field of work, her field of interest, and her field of education. She's an educator as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I first heard her on another podcast, uh, a wonderful podcast called Ologies, Okay. And basically they talk to anyone who studies anything interesting. So a marine biologist, you know, entomologist, um, if, if they do interesting work and they can't come up with a, with an ology field, they'll make one up for it. So, um, there's a wonderful episode on crow corvid thanatology in which they talk Ooh. about the ways that crows seem to hold what looks like a funeral to us. Um, but anyway, I, I heard, I first heard Colin Perry on an episode of this podcast on thanatology Mm -hmm. and it was sort of one episode's worth of the whole kind of thing that you and I like to talk about every week Mm -hmm. it was a wonderful wonderful episode and she's a very interesting person um who does a lot of education in the area of um death awareness death acceptance Mm -hmm. death education and she's come up with a term to describe maybe some of what we're talking about this week and the term she uses is shadow loss okay tell me more so by shadow loss she means any loss that is not one that we traditionally associate with grief i.e a death so if someone in your family dies we expect that you will be grieving Mm -hmm. that's an area in which obviously we don't always feel a lot of comfort even around that but there's a there's a language for it there's bereavement language her, the reason she's coined this term and she's trying to get a little bit wider acceptance for it is so that we then have language to describe things like, what about if you lose your job? 
Mm-hmm. What about if you have to move? Mm-hmm. What about if you lose, um, ba- you know, basically any aspect of your life that you might feel grief about, but that is not something that we traditionally associate with quote-unquote real bereavement mm-hmm. um, yeah. oh that's so interesting because I am honestly forgetting it right this second but I came across a term and uh anyway yeah it's gone out of my head but it basically describes um grief around transitions mm-hmm. any transitions really so yeah. even like graduating mm-hmm. from a program of any kind uh anything that like ends a milestone grief, that's what it oh, is. Oh, what a great or term. something to that effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which um, covers a whole lot of different... Um, so I think what I was seeing was like, yeah, finishing a program, transitioning into a new stage of your life in any kind of way. Uh, a marriage would be one of those things. And I've talked about it before, but for me, um, in the preparation to become a parent, that has been a huge... Oh, that um uh bringer of grief of that specific type Mm -hmm. of grief um i'm trying to think of what else uh moving out of your parents home oh boy yeah um moving uh any of those major life transitions that we take for granted and we expect people to just sort of move through without any trouble Mm -hmm. um and it can really bring up a lot yeah maybe especially the ones that are um traditionally viewed to be cause for celebration yes then it can be even more challenging to even recognize within yourself perhaps Mm -hmm. that what you're feeling is grief let alone share that with anyone else Mm -hmm. that can be very very tough it can be it can be i really love this idea of shadow loss though um i think i've seen it described elsewhere too but there are specific types of grief where it's disenfranchised grief Mm. i think is what i'm thinking of which is when there is a loss that cannot be publicly acknowledged or that it's tricky to be publicly Mm. acknowledged I've seen it um talked about in terms of if you are in an extramarital relationship and that partner or the person that you're in that relationship with dies who potentially has a spouse and uh your grief would not be publicly acknowledged in that particular Um, and for myself personally, um, I think I experienced a lot of that around, um, I had an abortion, Mm uh, oh gosh, seven or eight years ago now. And, um, there were no ways to kind of publicly show that I was grieving after that experience. Um, and that actually brings me into, um, maybe we, we won't get into this too much just yet but um creating my own rituals was Mm -hmm. one of the things that really helped me to get through that yeah uh, that kind of grief um because it felt like I needed a funeral and of course I was not going to be getting one yeah so Mm -hmm. yeah that's such a um thank you for sharing that I think you're probably describing something that just, you know, thousands of people have experienced. And maybe I, I would love to hear more about what the process of creating the ritual was like for you. And, and also, I'm just curious, were you 
describing yourself as a witch at that time? I was not. I was describing myself as an atheist at that time. <laughs> That's even more interesting. Yes. Um, it was very intuitive, that process. Yeah. Um, I The first thing that I did was um, the day afterwards, I had a friend come by and drop off a care package, um, which was really, really touching. And... Uh, in that care package was a really big scented candle. Mm. Um, and I lit that candle every night and I, it was, it was just a, I don't even know exactly why I did it, but I think it just, I think I was honoring that experience and, and I want to be really careful here. Um, for me, um, how do I want to put this? I felt like um, there was a spirit that I was honoring as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do want to be very careful here because um, I think everyone's experience of that is different. Mm-hmm. And um, some people don't believe that. And I think that's their truth. For My truth was um, that uh, there was a spirit to honor there. Uh, one that had wanted to come through um, and that I had decided uh, that it wasn't the time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was the first thing. And I lit that every night and I guess I prayed. I don't even know. Um, uh, like I said, I, I really, uh, it, I think it was one of those little nudges that pushed me, um, towards the path that I'm on now. Um, but it felt very important. Um, that felt very important. And then the other thing that I did, um, and this was partly, I believe, my mother who sort of brought up the idea to begin with, and I ran with it, Um, but my whole family um, and my husband, uh, we went to a park near their house where um, we had years ago planted a tree in honor of my grandparents. both my maternal and my paternal grandparents. There's a little plaque there that has all their names on oh, it. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and we planted some bulbs. It was um, it was October. Okay. Uh, we planted some bulbs, and I had a letter that I wrote that I burned and also put in the ground there. And um, that ritual really, really uh, helped me. So... Yeah, yeah. Those were some of the things that, and it, it's so funny. I mean, clearly I'm a witch, but <laughs> at the time, um, at the time it was just instinctive. Really, it was I need, I need ritual. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the. I think as we go more and more into witchcraft, we learn to craft our rituals potentially more. Um, deliberately, but there was something about that raw, instinctive way of dealing um, that felt potent. I'm so I'm so moved by that story. That's a, and there's so much in there that's so rich. So I feel like I want to respond to. I feel like I have 15 different things that I want <laughs> to say. Um, but thank you so much for sharing that. I guess one of the things that strikes me about about that is that you needed ritual 
even at a time in your life when you had not deliberately crafted any kind of spiritual practice and maybe didn't even identify yourself as a as a spiritual person or as someone for whom spirituality was like an active presence in your life is that yeah yeah that's fair to say and I think it it says something so powerful about what ritual is for yes and that ritual is inherent to being human in these ways that we don't even perhaps fully comprehend and it's almost like a diminishment of ritual to to place it solely in the realm of religion yes and i don't mean that to be diminishing to either religion or ritual i I think what i mean is like ritual is a is a human process that we almost all require at some point in our lives, however we might identify spiritually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I Maybe just to briefly pick up something that you offered earlier, um, in the training I took to become a funeral celebrant, we actually did sort of specifically do some reading about funerary-type ceremonies around abortion. Really? Yes. Okay. And the the... The, the concern that you raised, which I think was, if I'm hearing you right, was to do with, well, let me say what the concern that was raised in the reading that we approached was celebrants who are pro-choice mm-hmm. were concerned that by having funerals for, um, having funeral ceremonies with, with people who had had abortions would legitimize efforts to restrict or eliminate access to abortion because they were concerned that they were treating the very new pregnancy as though it were a person, which is one of the planks in the platform of those who want to remove access to abortion. Uh, Yep. Yeah. And I understand that this is very, very, very nuanced um, but I think it's appropriate to, to talk about oh, here um, because it's certainly um, what you, as, as you correctly identified, it's a disenfranchised grief. It may be, maybe Colin Perry would call this a shadow loss as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think speaking as a, as a celebrant, as someone who wants to help others who maybe you had an instinctive knowledge of what kind of ritual you needed to incorporate this experience into who you are now mm-hmm. that's a it's a part of you that that experience and and what was true for you was that you wanted to honor a spirit who potentially could have become embodied in the world mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I think that's probably true for a lot of people who choose to have abortions. I suspect it is. And I think that perhaps we make it hard for those people to process, experience, integrate. I don't want to say move through because I think grief becomes part of us. Yeah. But to to maybe transmute, I don't know, the grief. Transmute sounds... Like a, I think that was part of what I was trying to do. Yeah, yeah. 
I think if we, I can see politically and practically why we um, insist on a kind of materialist approach when it comes to policy. Yes. But when it comes to the spirit of a, of a, when it comes to the spirit of the person who has gone through that experience, yes. grief is also appropriate. Mm-hmm. You're not being a bad liberal or a bad feminist if you're grieving <laughs> because you've had an abortion. And if you choose to, to create a right that is, that is funerary in nature, by which I mean a right that acknowledges that you've perhaps lost um, someone you loved then then that is then that's right for you to do mhm mhm yeah i think I, i'm with you that there are i think especially in terms of policy there are reasons why uh pro choice folks would kind of shy away from that aspect yeah. of it but the thing is I guess I just wish it was less politicized because both sides of that argument, um, and, and just to be clear, I am very pro-choice. Yes, we, we both are. That's the stance of this podcast. Yes, incredibly. Um, <laughs> but I think when something becomes that politicized, the actual experiences of the people who are having that experience, <laughs> sorry, I did not say that, um, the... Uh, that sentence got away from me, but, um, it's a, it's just, it's a human experience that is so nuanced and so diverse. People have such different reactions to it. Um, and I was really lucky, um, when I had mine, um, uh, I was able to see a counselor a few times. Good. And one of the things that, uh, she told me that really helped me because I was feeling like a bad feminist, um, she was just like, she gave me a little chart and it was like, this is what pro the pro-choice political movement has to say about this experience. And this is what the anti-choice political movement has to say about the experience. And then in the middle, there was just like what people actually go through. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just a chart. It couldn't uh, yeah. talk about absolutely everything, but that was really helpful for me. Um, because yeah, I suspect that there are a lot of people who feel grief around that experience. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, that's part of why we have ritual, is to mm-hmm. help us experience grief. Yeah. Yeah. It's not to reduce grief. I think it's to help us experience the grief. Mm-hmm. No, it absolutely is. And um, for me, actually, writing was another way of, mm-hmm. of going through that. Um, in a way that made sense to me. And it was actually really interesting. I had written uh, quite a few poems about it, uh, enough to make a chapbook. Um, and I did a writer's workshop through Humber College. Um, and I that was what I submitted. Uh, and my um, instructor for that one actually, <laughs> this white lady, um, was like, have you heard of the ritual called Mitsuko Kuyo, um, hmm. which is a Japanese Buddhist um, ritual, and it is for uh, Mitsuko means oh, 
do I have this right? Yeah, I believe Mitsuko means water child mm. and Kuyo means ceremony. And um, it was for either miscarried or aborted fetuses. Wow. Uh, and um, it was, it, it's just, it's a fairly, I don't know, it was just really interesting to me to hear that there are cultures where this is just acknowledged. Um, yeah. And so I, I always kind of wanted to see if I could find someone who could do that for me. I don't know. I might still, but it might yeah. be possible. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating. I wasn't aware of that. And it does say something, doesn't it, really interesting about places where it is less politicized. And so then mm-hmm. the phrase I want to use is like a ritual technology exists. I love that. Um, I'm borrowing that. That's not my coinage. Um, I know I've come across that somewhere else. I can't quite cite my sources right now, but but sometimes I do think about. I find that a useful idea to think about sometimes, like a ritual technology, mm-hmm. like the the technology of um, writing something and burning it, mm-hmm. or burning other kinds of offerings, like mm-hmm. paper money in some cultures, or or incense, or burning something. Has we have always used that as a way of sending gifts or communication across the border to the mm-hmm. other world. Yeah. Something in us just knows it works, even if we are currently describing ourselves as atheists. Yes. Um, which in itself is, I think, a, a reductionary term. I think so too. Yeah. This conversation is really more. kind of ranging. I, <laughs> I'm like, what is our topic? I don't know. We're just kind of generally talking about like grief ritual, how we manage grief through ritual. You know what? I think that's where we wanted... disengagement. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess by that, what I mean is, at least here uh, in in westernized North America, we seem to use atheist to mean someone who... I think we use atheist when what we mean is scientific materialist. Okay. I.e. someone who doesn't believe in any kind of spirit reality and who thinks that our experiences... Um, physics, solely physics, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, even that's reductive because physics is like, what's even happening here? <laughs> um, but, you know, for our consciousness is the movement of particles and of electrical impulses between those particles, and mm-hmm. there's no consciousness after we die. And um, mm-hmm. I think that's often what, what we mean when we, when we use the term atheist, but atheist just means you don't believe in a deity, yeah. And it doesn't, the word itself doesn't really say anything about what other kinds of spirituality you might be experiencing. Mm-hmm. I've always thought of, how do I want to say this? I have always thought that a belief in humanity is a kind of spirituality. Yeah. And by that I mean specifically even when I was calling myself an atheist and even when I really didn't believe that um, in terms of, yes, anything outside of our physical reality being true, I, social justice, for instance, was a huge part of what made up how I viewed myself and how Mm -hmm. I interacted. Yeah. Um, And I think that's a type of spirituality as well. Yeah. Um, 
I think being moved by what the human spirit is capable of is a is a mm-hmm. spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this is maybe a good segue into <laughs> I guess what we actually. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad that we went where we did. I think yeah, that uh, we did think this was going to be a very organic conversation, but. I wonder if this can move us into the experience of doubting your spirituality. Yeah. Doubting. Here's what has been on my mind. Okay. Recently. Um, I am finding at the moment, and I have been able to reconcile these things in the past, but I am finding at the moment that it is harder to reconcile the idea and the belief of some kind of loving, benevolent, driving force of the universe and the fact that horrible things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's something that is clashing within me at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it feels that way to you or yeah um, long pause while I try to <laughs> sorry collect my I just no, that's a lot okay. on you <laughs> I mean kind of what you're describing is like the central question of spiritual people yes. throughout human existence yeah. <laughs> I earlier you talked about this being cyclical Mm-hmm. I find it cyclical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I, maybe I'll, I'll go to the micro level and like try to say something about my own experience with it and then, and then look broader. Um, I go through phases where I experience being in relationship with a broader universe and I experience being guided. I experience a reciprocity of exchange of contact. Mm-hmm. Then sometimes I go through periods where that dries up mm-hmm. and it feels as though I've been playing pretend for six months or whatever. Uh-huh. Actually, you know, six months is too long. This cycle kind of seems to move on like a couple month basis. Mm-hmm. Couple months of really feeling in tune, mm-hmm. couple months of feeling really out of tune. Mm-hmm. And in the out of tune times, I think how could you have been so silly to, to not only think you're a witch, but like tell other people that you are, mm. you might as well tell them you're a mermaid, <laughs> you know, like, um, and then I feel a lot of shame and then, it, mm-hmm. and then, um, often what happens at that point is I choose to do some sort of, uh, reconnective ritual. And sometimes it's just writing, as you said, sometimes I just will be writing about those feelings. Um, this happened to me yesterday morning. I mean, maybe it's worth sharing. Like I've been feeling really out of touch and I was writing that, uh, I was starting to feel kind of childish, sort of feeling like I'm reaching out for reassurance over and over and over and over. And, Mm um, I'm feeling quite stalled on moving forward with working as a celebrant, like that's something new that I'm trying to start doing and I'm really feeling stuck. Mm -hmm. And just writing about it helps things to unloosen a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
what is it that I want to say more broadly about this? I think it's very difficult to uh, continue to believe, as you say, that mm-hmm. that there is a benevolent guidance in the universe. Mm-hmm. And maybe for that reason, I have found myself moving further and further away from belief as a useful um, metric almost for for how I am feeling spiritually. Ah. I've thought a lot about this, like in the shower, you know, you do really good thinking in the shower. (laughs) (laughs) Let me see if I can like get some of this onto the microphone. Um, I associate belief a lot with, with the monotheisms. Mm-hmm. Because I think the monotheistic religions explicitly ask for belief as one of the primary activities of the adherence of the, of the religion. Mm-hmm. And belief is sort of laid down as, a, as the, the state of being on which all of the rest of it is predicated. Yeah. And we talk about spirituality, I think, in this culture, a lot of the times we talk about it in terms of beliefs. Mm-hmm. And people talk, you know, when people learn I'm a witch, sometimes they talk to me in terms of like my beliefs as a witch. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that I that I hold to be true about what kind of relationship we we might look toward to have with our with our environment. But in terms of like what I believe to be true about the universe, I'm profoundly agnostic. Okay. I don't know if there are deities. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there are spirits. Mm-hmm. I don't know if my ancestors can perceive me and guide me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anything of me continues after I die. I have really no firm beliefs or convictions about this at all. Mm-hmm. It may be that I have experiences as I continue on that that cause some of that cause some of those things to firm up. But in terms of like an ontology of the universe, mm-hmm. I have very little. Okay. Um, here are some things that I know. Consciousness exists because mm-hmm. I'm conscious. Mm-hmm. So consciousness is an, an emergent property of the universe because we have all emerged from the universe. Mm-hmm. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> but... What I can say is that certain actions, ritual actions, cause me to experience connection. Mm -hmm. So I can say what I've experienced, and some of those experiences have been very numinous. They seem to have come from a sacred place. Mm That's about where it is right now. Okay. I I, I don't know if that's a... <laughs> I, I feel like I've just been talking for a long time, no. trying to kind of articulate where I'm at, but the, I this has been something I've struggled with for like a long time, and I think I'll just... I think this is just part of the struggle for me of, of being a... trying to be a spiritual person is that mm-hmm. um, I would love to feel a very firm belief and conviction Mm-hmm. I would love to know, for instance, that the deities with whom I've had experiences are real in mm-hmm. some way. Yeah. 
what I can say is that those experiences have been a real force in my life and have caused me to grow and change in certain ways. And maybe that's as real as I'm ever going to know. Mm-hmm. That was not a ramble at all. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> I am really resonating with a lot of what you've said. Um, it's interesting you talking about belief because I think sometimes I really do. Um, and yet again, we're talking about this cycle there. Are, I think always going to be times for me as well, where it remains a possibility mm-hmm. and that is maybe about as far as I can take it. There is a part of me that is willing to hope that yeah. it's true. Um, I really do think though that spirituality is meaning making and maybe all that matters is that we are able to make that meaning in whatever way makes sense to us. If that, um, and, and sometimes we can't, I think that's also true. I think, I think that questioning, especially when we're talking about, um, as I said, trying to reconcile, if you're paying attention to what's happening in this world, I don't know how you can't doubt Uh, (laughs) I guess is maybe what I'm trying to say there. And thank you for saying, uh, thank you for saying that actually, because I think I haven't been giving myself the permission to, it feels like I'm doing something wrong when I have those kinds of doubts. And, and I guess there's a part of me too that I, I also, I also really feel sometimes where I interact with people who just seem so sure (laughs) Uh, and I, I'm, I'm happy for them, and I'm also like, how do you do that? <laughs> um, and and they might also be having their own private doubts, so that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But yeah, maybe maybe in the periods where everything seems very uncertain just the fact that we're reaching out for that kind of connection uh, whether we even trust that it's available to us or not um, maybe that's as good as it can get yeah I mean that's kind of where I'm landing Mm -hmm. I I found myself wanting to pick up something you just said which is about other people sounding really sure yes and and how sometimes it feels like you're maybe you're being a bad witch if you have these doubts. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of the most visible models of religiosity that we see here prioritize or maybe privilege belief, mm-hmm. and and so there is a. Um, I'm out of my depth to to talk too much about. Christianity, which is a tradition that in many ways I have a lot of respect for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I um, I will say that one of the things that I see over there is uh, a great deal of emphasis on belief. Mm-hmm. And that that's the way to spiritual 
fulfillment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or or maybe the language they would use is that that's the that's the way to salvation yeah and I think I hope I'm not speaking outside of my lane here but I do wonder if that I feel like alternative forms of spirituality have been colonized in a way yeah and um, part of that is maybe taking on that necessity uh, yeah. or that um, feeling of necessity that one has to believe at all times. Yeah. I think that's what I'm, what I'm getting at there is mm-hmm. that I think it would be, it would be highly unusual if we had not absorbed at least some of that mm-hmm. um, perspective. Mm-hmm. And when you come around to something like witchcraft, which is perhaps a spiritual path of, um, of activity it's an embodied path to do with mm-hmm. with ritual and with um you know maybe manipulating material uh elements mm-hmm. to in, in order to influence outer experiences when i when we're practicing magic um it's it i think that sort of privileges maybe ritual action over an inter- an interior mental state of belief. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other aspect that I was going to come around to there was the question of, of other people seeming like they are, they really believe and um, that they don't have any doubt. Yes. And that's something I'm, I'm a little bit aware of now that I'm much to my shock making a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to a lot of witchy podcasts, a lot of podcasts in which longtime practitioners are interviewed or are hosts, and I've heard a lot of people share a lot of stories about very remarkable experiences, and I've heard a lot of people say a lot of things that they believe or experience. And I used to listen to those, and sometimes they would inspire me, and then sometimes I would think, God, you know, if a real witch has experiences like that, then I can't be a witch. Mm-hmm. If something, if if that's what a witch is, is someone who has these most extraordinary, remarkable things happen, mm-hmm. well, no wonder, no wonder she is full of confidence. But I've never had anything like that happen to me. Mm-hmm. Well... Now that I have been a witch for longer, I, I can say that I have had some experiences that I find it very hard to explain by through any mechanism other than a different kind of reality was involved or present. Mm-hmm. And when those very, very numinous experiences happen, I feel like I am filled with an electricity of contact with, mm-hmm. with the thing that I really want out of all of this, which is like a, a communication and presence with a larger than the material universe. Mm-hmm. And when those things happen, I am full of gratitude. And I could... I could share some of them here and maybe somebody listening would think to themselves, oh, well, if that's what a witch is, then, you know, that's, <laughs> that's not me. Not me. <laughs> and I, that's not the experience I want people to have. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I, what I think I want to say about that is, and I think, I think Carl Jung writes about this, the numinosity of the experience 
fades always. Yeah. It loses a bit of the light that shines out of it. It loses a bit of the potency. And and what that means for, for humans is that, as you said, we have to keep reaching out. Mm-hmm. You have to just reach out over and over and over and over. And sometimes something so remarkable happens and you feel filled with a knowledge of connection. Mm-hmm. What I am beginning to learn is that there is no one of those experiences that is going to prove to me once and for all that magic is real yep. or that any of this other place that I try to connect with is real mm-hmm. or that there is for sure something after we die. Yep. None of it is going to prove it to me forever. Mm-hmm. The work is continuing to reach out. I think that's just beautifully put. Yeah, I think that's all we can do, and um, and also to really, I don't know. I hope this doesn't sound. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm just thinking. There's a poem by Mary Oliver, um, and I actually have uh, a little bit of it mm. um, tattooed on my arm. There, uh, joy is not made to be a crumb. Uh, it's a very short poem that basically is just like life is shitty and hard um, but there are moments of joy and those moments of joy are transcendent and um, that it's very important to be fully in them when they do become available to us because that memory even even after it fades there's that knowledge that you still have that no that happened I felt that way I can feel that way again Mm -hmm. not forever but but I can get back to that place even for another moment yeah Um, and I think yeah I I think it's worth it I think all of the doubt and all of the just pain that we go through in this life, I think I think that joy, I think that transcendence, I think it can make it worth it if we're and I don't know, I mean like I have lived a sheltered privileged life in a lot of ways, so maybe that's a bit of privilege coming out here, but um Yeah, I don't know. I I think fundamentally this existence it's not just something to get through. I think if we can form those kinds of connections that if we can keep reaching out as you said. Um I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's a word for it. <laughs> uh sorry. <laughs> think that one got away from me a little bit but um yeah maybe it maybe it's just worth it maybe it's just worth it to be here yeah no I don't think I got away from you I mean I think you were I feel like we're trying to answer this question of like why have a spiritual path at all yeah why why bother with this why do it Mm -hmm. and I know we've talked a little bit about some aspects of that but that kind of seems like one of the biggest questions facing people forever. Mm-hmm. I think that 
perhaps right now, we are also really, we're in a time that is privileging other kinds of information. Mm -hmm. And there is a certain amount of deep skepticism or even scorn about, from some quarters, not certainly mm -hmm. not all, about doing this kind of reaching out. Mm -hmm. I know I have within me, I have a little voice that says, you know what it says, um, <laughs> in, in the voice of, 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 a, of a very um, kind of self-identified, like really atheist of that kind of there's nothing else way. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I would broach the topic of spirituality and he would say, if you want to delude yourself, that's fine. And I do have this little voice in me that goes, if you want to delude yourself, that's fine. Uh -huh. um, as though a spiritual search is a kind of um, self-medication for the pain of being alive. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what it is. I don't either. I think it is a way of trying to be as whole as you can so that you can, in fact experience grief mm -hmm. and that you can do what you are able to do to mitigate the suffering of others mm -hmm. that yeah that that's it <laughs> for yeah. me that's it yeah and it's not to I don't intend that to say that everyone needs to like get religion. That's oh, not what I'm. That's not no. what I'm saying. No, no, I just no, want to make sure are... it doesn't sound like I'm proselytizing here. Oh gosh, no, um, no, no. We are we are not about foisting anything onto anybody. At, yeah, in this room. But. but I guess maybe what I want to say is that, like, if you are a, <laughs> if you're if you're someone who. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know how many people who who would sort of describe themselves as as in as a, you know, hard materialist sort of atheist would be listening to a podcast about witchcraft, tarot, and death. But, <laughs> but if you are, and, and you find that you, that you want to do ritual to move through and incorporate an experience, do ritual. Mm -hmm. If nothing else, you know, human brains came up with ritual. It does something for us. It does. Yeah. Um, do it. Feel silly doing it. You'll feel silly and then maybe you'll feel something else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, and I can speak from my own experience that like being in that place, it still was incredibly helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And ritual can look like so many different things too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about like anything that makes you feel connected. Even going for an intentional walk in the woods, if that's available to you, I think can mm -hmm. be something that, just to break it down and make it really easy. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Make yourself a patch of holy ground to visit like you did. Mm -hmm. Wherever that tree is, mm -hmm. is, is a sacred place now. It is. It is. And I asked them to, I remember, even at the time, I didn't, believe in anything and I asked my ancestors because that was uh, I asked my grandparents specifically I said can you please take care of this whatever it is mm -hmm. um, on the other side and oh it's so f I, I don't know I'm just thinking about that now and it's so funny because I really really was like 
I was the kind of atheist, and I'm not saying everyone else is, but I was the kind of atheist that was like, almost didn't believe because I felt betrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like a neutral atheist kind of a thing. It was a, I think it was that voice that you have sometimes that goes like, uh, believing in anything is deluding yourself. Um, and, and yet that still felt true to me. Um, and it was still really necessary. I think there's something in the human spirit that needs whatever form of connection it ends up looking like. Um, and, and I think that's something that's really remarkable about us actually. Mm -hmm. I'm reading a book right now called the mind in the cave Mm -hmm. and it's about the, the paleolithic cave paintings. Uh Um, and I'm, I'm just at the beginning of it, but I'm coming up to sort of the central argument of the book and, and the argument that seems to be unfolding, maybe I'll update you in a few weeks as I get further in, but the argument that seems to be unfolding here is that those images represent certain things about human consciousness. They represent an ability to imagine something inside your own mind and Mm -hmm. then to make representational art about what your mind has imagined Mm-hmm. to dream and to share abstract ideas with others, things that that are in the imaginal realm. Mm-hmm. And that that capacity is what gives rise to a human sense of connection with a spirit realm. Mm-hmm. And that the activities that humans have engaged in for millennia to connect with enter and exit and represent that spirit realm it's sort of what is modern consciousness like this has been a part of us Mm -hmm. for so long and i just don't believe that the direction of progress is to move to a place where we have once and for all eradicated this quote-unquote superstition oh yes i don't believe that we've talked a little bit on this podcast before about where that kind of direction has led us ecologically Mm -hmm. um but interpersonally and and just personally as well i i just don't think that's the way i don't either um i think eradicating our spirituality is eradicating our connections and i think without connections we are, there's nowhere to go there. Mm-hmm. Do we want to move into our tarot Why cards? Why don't we talk about our cards? Yeah. yeah. Well, do you want to maybe start by talking together about the card that both of us brought? Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't check in with each other. Nope. And... Both of us brought the Five of Pentacles for today. Yes, we did. (laughs) Uh, Rebecca, do you want to start? Sure. Um, So I have brought the Five of Pentacles from a deck that I've brought onto this podcast before, which is called the Llewellyn Tarot. It's my first tarot deck. Um, It draws a lot on Welsh mythology and Celtic imagery. And this Five of Pentacles has... Two people, a woman and a child, 
leaving what looks like a church. Mm-hmm. The five pentacles are set into a stained glass window and they are walking away from that building outside into a cold snowy night. Mm-hmm. The wind is blowing and there is a sense of having been been turned away. Uh, turned away from a from a sacred place, mm-hmm. from a from a building or dwelling of the sacred out into the into the wilderness. And frankly, I just bought I brought this because sometimes when I am in this when I feel this sense of being out of tune, out of touch, disconnected, disbelieving, let's say, mm-hmm. um, for all that I've said that belief is maybe not the main goal here, it's still something I long for. It feels good. It feels good. It feels yeah. great to believe. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the card that I think of. This is the image that's in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, a sense of a loss of access to holy places. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think about it sometimes. I sing a lot. Maybe this is going to be a tangent. We'll see how much of a tangent this ends up being. Yeah. Hey, I I think we're four tangents here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm a singer in my main work. I sing a lot of sacred music. Mm -hmm. I sing a lot of Christian sacred music. Mm -hmm. I, in fact, am employed by a church singing in their choir every week. So, um... I have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of time spent in that world as well. Um, there's an absolutely magnificent motet by the English composer William Byrd, who was active in the Renaissance, and he was active during the period in which England was going back and forth between Protestant and Catholic. Mm-hmm. He was Catholic. He worked for both Catholic and Protestant monarchs. And... A lot of the Protestant music is um, a little bit more conventional and a little bit safer, and a lot of the Catholic music is full of desolation and longing. Oh, okay. And there's a marvelous motet called Ne Irascaris Domine, which means, do not be angry with us, Lord. Uh Um, Remember that we are all your people. Mm -hmm. And then the second half of the motet um, is called Civitas Sancti Tui, which means your sacred cities uh, have become a desolation. Jerusalem has become a wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, Zion deserta est, which means Zion has been deserted. And for me, that there's something in that music that um, goes beyond the explicitly Christian or biblical language and really just says... the holy places are gone. Okay. And I've always, when I am in a place of kind of spiritual crisis, sometimes there's something in that music that is like, like the inner sacred place I no longer have access to. Mm-hmm. This feeling of, of great loss, of, of, a, of a kind of inner holy connection or sacred place. Mm-hmm. And... There's something in that particular piece of music that I find just immensely expressive of that. And it kind of doesn't matter what tradition it's coming from. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a human experience. This sense of, of no longer being able to access, I mean, in his case, literally, the rituals that connected him. Um, 
And and I, I think this card sort of speaks. It just speaks about the experience that it doesn't offer a solution. Yeah, that's that's something that's hard about the Five of Pentacles. Anyway, I've just <laughs> talked a lot about William Byrd. We'll see if if I leave that in. <laughs> I hope we do. I think we should. <laughs> what do you? Why did you bring the Five of Pentacles? Oh, yeah. Um, so it's interesting that you say that you don't find that the card offers a solution because I have found all of the fives do offer a solution mm. in some way, but it's not one that erases how hard they are. Um, so really when I was uh, thinking about, I, I could have brought any of the fives today really, mm. um, but so the card that I brought is the five of pentacles from the Anima Mundi tarot mm. deck. Um, which is, I think it was one of the very first decks, not the first, but one of the very first decks that I ever um, bought. And what we see pictured on this particular card is just a very plain, stark winter scene. So Mm -hmm. just a field of snow, a little bit of grass coming up here and there, and a tree that is bare um, and covered in snow as well. Mm -hmm. And... I think for me, all of the fives, and especially this particular five, hold this, they ask of you to hold two things at once. One is that it is winter, nothing is growing, Um, there is a sense of anything from mild disappointment to overwhelming grief over not having what it is that we feel that we need Mm -hmm. um and the fives really ask us i think to be with that to honor those feelings to feel them as much as we are able to um and also to hold even if it's just a little tiny grain of hope that winter doesn't last forever. Um, I think bringing it back to what we were talking about, that these cycles of spiritual doubt are in fact cycles. Um, And the five says you will be back here again, Mm -hmm. but also you will not be here too. You will be... You will be in springtime. You will be in summertime. You will, you will be in fall. And um, it's really interesting that in your card they're walking away from the church. Um, because I know, if I'm remembering it correctly, I know in a lot of other Five of Pentacles that imagery, you see it, but it's almost like people are walking by the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen it um, talked about that um, the doors to the church are always open potentially the characters in that card aren't seeing yeah they could choose to enter they could choose to enter um and and i don't mean that to say like just choose to change your mindset no i know you don't mean to yeah yeah but i think that that sense of connection is always available to us um and even if that even if it's just holding on to the hope that some some time we will feel more connected again um I think is yeah I think 
And I think that we can only do that by not bypassing how hard um, these experiences are. You're raising something interesting there, which makes me kind of want to circle back to, um, like earlier in this podcast, I was saying that sometimes if I'm feeling this sense of disconnection, part of the, part of the way through is to like do a ritual of some sort. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I feel moved to say that like, at that time, I don't feel like doing a ritual. Oh gosh, I don't no. want to do a ritual. Mm-hmm. I'm cranky about it. Yep. And and the ritual is sometimes a little sullen. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's like, um, we have a really negative association with the phrase "going through the motions." Mm-hmm. But I I kind of think that there's something. Maybe that's something helpful about like a spiritual practice that really does incorporate ritual. Is like I can't think myself into feeling differently, mm-hmm. but I can choose to perform a series of ritual actions mm-hmm. that are that are meaningful. And maybe when I start the ritual, I don't really feel like it, and by the end of it, I feel something a little bit different. Or by moving my body, I've moved my mind a little bit in some way too. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, I like your reminder that that the door is open. Yeah, you can you can choose to walk in 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 a not glib way. There's there's often a there's often a doorway maybe is mm-hmm. part of what that's about. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I feel like that's maybe a really nice place to uh close out today. Yeah. Just that sliver of Maybe that door is just cracked just the tiniest amount and you can see the light from within. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Well, we... uh, This was a really great conversation. I'm so glad that we decided to talk about this. I'm glad that we talked about this. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I do something I've never done before and plug something? Oh, please. Okay, short plug. Okay. Um, Coming up Mm -hmm. on May 6th, Yep. which is right around Beltane, mm-hmm. I am going to be reading you are. at a witch event. Yes. <laughs> I am going to be scrying mm-hmm. at um, the Witch's Vale Night Market at a shop called Seven Sisters in London, Ontario. Mm-hmm. And so if anyone listening is in that area, um, around in and around London, and you would like to drop by and... Visit the night market. There will be a lot of really wonderful witchy vendors. There are going to be musical performances. There is going to be a maypole. (laughs) Um, I think there will be maybe fire performances of some sort. Um, And there will be readers as well. And I am one of the readers. Uh, I will be scrying in crystal, Mm -hmm. which is a a divinatory practice that I sometimes do. And which, frankly, um, it's, you know, it's a fun tie-in to, like, I always doubt that that's going to work. And then when it works, I'm like, oh my gosh, it works. <laughs> um, and I can say for sure, uh, Rebecca has scribed for me and it works. It's, it's, a, it's a very cool way to explore um, symbolism and to explore, you know, to do what divination does, which is to explore trends in your life and to offer new ways of thinking. And, um, and I love doing it. And so it would be... Uh, a true honor if anyone was in the area and wanted to drop by and get a reading or just get a reading from there are many other amazing readers there and it's going to be a fantastic way to celebrate Beltane mm-hmm. so that's my plug <laughs> <laughs> 
seriously, if you are in the area and you have the opportunity to go, I would highly recommend it because um, Rebecca is a beautiful reader. Oh, thank you. As are you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, and if you're if you at any time. You all should visit Sarah's website at craneandmoontarot.com. Is it craneandmoontarot.com? It is craneandmoontarot.com. Okay. Yes. Or Instagram at, what's your handle? Oh, gosh. Uh, oh, just Crane and Moon Tarot. Yeah, Crane and Moon Tarot. Instagram. Um, Sarah is also a beautiful reader and uh, will read for you over Zoom as well. Yes. So. Yeah. So for any of our listeners that are in completely different places, um, I do uh, Zoom readings. I also do written readings, if that's something that uh, appeals to anybody. Yeah. Um, we still have an email address. We do. We are still at across the river podcast at gmail.com. Yes. We would love to hear from you. And uh, please, please do consider leaving a review for this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. My understanding is that that is the one of the best ways to boost the algorithm a little bit. Yes, which would, we would love to be able to um, do that. So. Yeah, that's that's the best spell you can do to boost her algorithm <laughs> is to write a review, <laughs> like magic. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay, well, mm-hmm. um, it will be uh, will be past Beltane next time you hear us we will i think we'll be given the weather right now i think we'll be in proper summer by then. honestly i mean if this continues on it will be properly warm so um enjoy the the beautiful weather and if you are in uh we hope if you're in a, a place of spiritual doubt that you are beginning to move out of it but um it's you know the cycle is the cycle is real the cycle is very real. I think. I think if you, I, yeah. I don't know how we don't go through these kinds of cycles. I think yeah. it's being spiritually honest. Yeah, I think so. Um, to just recognize that that's where you're at. Yeah. Um, but yes, we do hope that um, you find a sense of connection again soon. Yes, indeed. Okay. All right. We'll see you at the next dark moon. We will. Bye.